It's the need for speed, the temple of speed. We head to round 14 at Monza. It is the Italian Grand Prix coming up this Sunday. The third race of a triple header. And guess what, everybody? We are back to sprint qualifying this weekend. We'll have a preview of the race, our five things to watch out for this weekend, plus our track talk segment. We will go over the Monza circuit. We'll also have top five and bottom five from last week's rate at Zanvoort. And we'll also talk about the big week in news in Formula One regarding driver movement for 2022. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. Subscribe to the channel. Give us a five-star review if you like what we do. Also, you can like our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 Podcast. Uh, you can jump in on the conversations that we have there. Also, share the podcast because that is how we grow, and we really love the fact that we are growing. All right, the Italian Grand Prix. This is simply wonderful. I love this. This track is iconic. It's one of the best on the calendar. It's the home event for Ferrari, the Tifosi making themselves known. Now, last season was sad because of COVID-19, but if you remember, you could see images of the sea of red that invade the track back in like 2019 when Charles Leclerc won, Michael Schumacher winning in Monza. It's a testament to their passion for the Scuderia. Last season, we saw Pierre Gasly hold off Carlos Sainz for a victory in a race that saw Lewis Hamilton drive into the pit lane when it was closed. That resulted in a penalty, plus a mechanical failure for Max Verstappen that opened the door for midfield teams to run up front. This was one of my favorite races in all of 2020 last year, and a lot of it was due to the pure emotion of Gasly winning a race after he was had been recently demoted by Red Bull. This year's championship fight between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton has been back and forth all season. Hamilton took an early edge, winning in Portimao, winning in Barcelona, the season opener in Bahrain. Then there were a number of wins by Verstappen. He had won the triple header France and the two races in Austria. But by the time we got to Great Britain, he had a 32-point lead heading to Silverstone. And then, of course, the crash there, the opening lap crash at Hungary derailed that. But with wins at Spa, I know... And the Netherlands, he now has a three-point lead heading into Monza. All right, so we're going to go over the five things to watch out for for this weekend's Italian Grand Prix. And number one on the list is going to be the atmosphere. Now, this doesn't really have to do a ton with what will actually happen in the race, but the Tifosi are back. It's a limited capacity, but the fans are going to be at Monza. This is coming off Zandvoort. Remember all the excitement that the Dutch fans brought to that Grand Prix. All the drivers talked about it. You could see that sea of orange. It really added another element, you know, especially with Max Verstappen winning the pole position, winning the race, right? All of those things led to a great weekend for Formula One in the Netherlands. Now, this is different because Monza is on the calendar every single year, but because of COVID, we just haven't seen this in a while. We've had races at Imola, Mugello, Monza last year, Imola so far this year. So they've raced in Italy, but those races have had very small crowds, if any at all. This is about 50% capacity, and it's still going to have an electric atmosphere. Not 100%, but 50% should be good enough to really see their influence and make that atmosphere be what we kind of missed back in 2020. Now, the second thing to watch out for this weekend is sprint qualifying because it returns. We saw this at Silverstone, and for the second time, the start of the grid Sunday will be determined with a qualifying race on Saturday. Now, I have to admit, this went better than I thought the first time around, although I went into it not a huge enthusiastic fan. I still don't like the concept that we award points based on the finish of this. If you're going to do it for these qualifying races, why aren't we doing it for qualifying every single week? We don't. 
right? We, we do, we save those for the actual race, the actual Grand Prix. And so I'm still not really sold on that aspect of this sprint qualifying, but I'm a little bit more optimistic about its return than I was before I saw its debut. I, I gotta be honest. I wasn't a glass completely empty guy, but I wasn't even a glass middle full. Uh, when it came to sprint qualifying, I just think it was a little gimmicky and I like the traditional qualifying. I like the, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3 qualifying. And I do think that that has a place rather than just to determine the order for a sprint race, but I'm kind of warming up to this idea. I liked what I saw at Silverstone, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton really took it to each other in that race. We saw Sergio Perez spin out. It affected his Grand Prix. Fernando Alonso moved up the field. So we, I saw some things I did like. I do get worried though, that it doesn't provide the kind of excitement when drivers aren't really going to risk extra positions because they like where they are. And they're like, you know what? I'd rather stay where I am right now than risk a move that may cost me to fall further behind in the grid. So that aspect of it still needs to be worked out from a driver thought, but I, I I'm kind of warming up to the idea. Uh, the third thing to watch out for, and this is key because it could affect the championship leaving Monza heading into the week break before Sochi, and that's Mercedes. There is no secret we are now heading to two circuits that favor the Silver Arrows. Monza now and in two weeks going to Russia. We talked earlier about this season having its ups and downs for both of these championship drivers where Lewis Hamilton wins a bunch and then Max Verstappen wins a bunch, then Lewis Hamilton takes a few checkered flags or good results, and then all of a sudden Max Verstappen is back in the lead, and this is an opportunity opportunity for Mercedes to grab to here. This has not been a very good track for Red Bull, and it has been an exceptional track for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. This is going to be a very low downforce track. This is where you get speed, maximum, maximum speed. This is where Mercedes should excel. Hamilton had pole position at Monza last year, and if it wasn't for the mistake that he made when he went into the pit lane, when it was closed, resulting in a 10-second penalty, he would have won that race with ease. There's only a three-point gap between Hamilton and Verstappen in the standings right now, and again, this is a track where Mercedes should be excelling. Now, that's not to say we're ruling Red Bull out of this race by any means, no. But I am saying that if you're going to a track where the data points to you having the superior car, better come through, especially in this championship fight, because any sort of derailment of that here in Sochi could mean Red Bull makes it much more difficult for you to get back in during the fall months as we head into Abu Dhabi in the season finale. Now, we're going to get to a lot more on Mercedes coming up, but just from a technical standpoint and a car setup standpoint, this is one of the keys to watch for this weekend, how they do in not only the qualifying on Friday, but how they do in the sprint race on Saturday and, of course, the Grand Prix on Sunday. The fourth thing to watch out for, McLaren. Now, going back to Hungary, this has been a tough three races for both Daniel Ricciardo and Lando Norris. Norris could not run after the first lap crash at the Hungaro ring. He spun out in the rain and spa and he didn't land any, any points in either one of those races. Went to the Netherlands looking for a boost. He finished P10. He did get one point, but that's one point in the last three races when he had been in the top 10 in the last 15. Now, Ricardo has had an incredible up and down season with the new team because it's been frustrating, right? He'll struggle, then he'll have a good running, then he'll struggle again. Now, Hungary, that wasn't his fault. The car got damaged and he was going around. Same with Verstappen. They were just kind of going around with, with damaged cars. That wasn't really his fault. Um, but right now, they are losing ground to Ferrari in the chase for P3 in the constructors. I've been talking about this all year. This is the battle that this is the second battle that I'm looking forward to. 
Now, I'm a Ferrari guy, so I'm paying a lot of attention to this. But it is this is one of the, the, the cool aspects of Formula One is that you have these sort of battles that are not necessarily for a championship, but have tremendous value overall to these teams. And Ferrari and McLaren duking it out back and forth this season for that P3 spot in the constructors has been rewarding from that aspect. Now, Ricardo did qualify well at Spa. That resulted in a P4. But he did finish 11th at Zandvoort just outside of the points. Now, Carlos Sainz did finish P2 last year at Monza in a McLaren. Oh, but you know what? Those were circumstances you know, that were just weird and, and ended up with a really cool podium. It was uh, Pierre Gasly, it's Carlos Sainz, and Lance Stroll on the podium at Monza. It, one of the more bizarre finishes of, uh, of the Formula One season last year. But it was really exciting. All right, the fifth one I may have to sell you on. So hear me out on this because I really put a lot of thought into this. And maybe it lands, maybe it doesn't, but bear with me. Number five is going forward with Valtteri Bottas. So we got the news that Valtteri is going to be driving for Alfa Romeo next season. Now, this comes at no surprise, but it comes with a new perception now of the Finn. When Bottas defies team orders or he doesn't run well enough to allow Hamilton a strategic advantage in a Grand Prix, we all keep speculating more and more about his future with Mercedes, right? We always go, well, this angered Toto Wolff or... Like when he tangled with George Russell, for example, at Imola, right? The big question was, what's he doing tangling with the Williams in the first place? Like holding up Hamilton at, at Barcelona. It's like, oh, well, he's in trouble with Toto Wolff. But now he's leaving. Now it's official. He's no longer going to be with the team. He's going to close out his time with Mercedes. And this is no longer a, f a factor in the conversation. This is no longer hanging over his head. He doesn't have to answer questions about this every time something on the track occurs occurs, right? We don't have to read into any more Valtteri. This is James. We don't have to read into any more of that. He is going to be racing for Alfa Romeo next season. George Russell is going to take that seat. He's free of the media dis dissecting everything about his Grand Prix based on where his future is with the team. And also too, when he ran well and did a good job, we also wondered, well, maybe Total Wolf keeps him, right? It was just constant all the time. You've got a freed up Valtteri Bottas now. What is he going to do? Will he, for the good of his reputation, continue to obey team orders that help Lewis Hamilton win a championship? Does he even care? Does he go for the fastest lap when he's told not to? Like, what is he like? What? How does he run now when his future is now secure with another team? I just think this is going to be a fascinating way we view him going forward to the end of the season, because. I, I'm not going to say I'm going to miss it, but this was always a talking point whenever there was a little controversy and you would see it on the track and you'd be like, uh Oh, all right. Well, okay. Let's not forget. Okay. There was speculation that he was going to be replaced mid season. Not we're going to replace you when the 2022 season starts. No, it was you're done right now. George Russell's getting promoted right now. And he'll be in that car the rest of the way. There was a rumor that that was happening. There was an insider at Mercedes that said that that was a possibility. I never bought it for a second. I never bought it for a second. I've been around sports too much. I've covered too many sporting teams to know when there is somebody on the inside that does the, I know something you don't know, and it's not quite true. It just did not ring true to me that Mercedes would be willing to do that. So now that Valtteri Bottas is free of all of the speculation to his future, 
How will he drive the rest of the way, including this weekend at Monza? All right, details of the Grand Prix coming up on Sunday. Pirelli using the mid-range set of tires, C2 for the hards, C3 the mediums, C4 for the softs. This is the same set that was used in the last two Italian Grand Prix. It's one of the fastest tracks of the year, so this is going to be the setup. Also, as I mentioned earlier, low downforce setup, so you can expect maximum speed and to minimize the drag on the cars. The Grand Prix will consist of 53 laps, and this is going to be a very different setup than we saw for the cars at Zandvoort a week ago. They needed maximum downforce, a lot of curves, banking, etc. You don't need it at Monza. What you need is speed. And that's what that's why it's called the Temple of Speed. So let's go around the circuit in our track talk segment. If you're new to Formula One, this is where we kind of go through the circuit. We talk about some of the corners, some of the things you can expect the cars to do. If you're an old pro to Formula One, you know, you know what we're talking about. The Grand Prix will start with a flat out run into the first turn. This is will be a chicane that will get drivers down from top speeds. When the race gets going, as they put in laps and laps, this will get up to over 200 miles an hour before they have to break into that first chicane. It's going to be like a drag race to open up when lights go out. You see other circuits where they come off the off the grid and they go right into a corner la source at spa for example that right hander at hungry but this is going to be flat out straight down that straight all the way to the first chicane and then they will throttle that thing back they will get out of that chicane and it's back onto the acceleration to la curva grande or the grand curve this is sort of a long arching right hander a big sweeping left hander and it will go into the second chicane of on the circuit right there is where you have your turns four and five then you head to the Lesmo corners. They are a pair of right-handers, turns six and seven. There's a short shoot in between them, kind of almost makes like a, like a box, if you will. And then it's a downhill DRS zone, long straight that leads to the Ascari chicane. Cars take that pretty quickly. It's turns eight, nine, and 10. And then you hit another straight on the track and then you get right back into one of the most famous turns in the, on the Formula One calendar, and that's Parabolica. Cars will be getting into this turn almost at high speed. There's some deceleration there, but it's pretty quick. They'll be turning right, maintaining a good bit of pace to the apex, and then they'll turn right into the straight that leads to the start-finish line. Laps around Monza are quick. Last year's pole lap by Lewis Hamilton, a minute 18.887. And like I said, this is one of my favorite races on the calendar. I just absolutely love Monza. We are going to get to some races. Don't get me wrong. We will get to some races that I do not like. I feel like I say I like this particular race or I like this particular track just because Silverstone, Spa, Monza all come together on the calendar. This is like my favorite sections of, uh, of race tracks. All right, let's get to top five, bottom five from the Dutch Grand Prix. And uh, the Dutch Grand Prix raced for the first time in 36 years. You know, Max Verstappen, you know the story, won in his home track in front of an electric crowd. It was great. But there were some moments that we got to get to, including the five that make our bottom five. No particular order, so let's run them down. Number five on my list, Lando Norris. I love Lando, but this was a bad effort. It was a 10th place finish. They never really got the car right for this circuit. I, I know Lando is struggling right now. He crashed at, at Spa, spun out at Spa. I was glad he was okay. They didn't get to run that race. He was involved in that tangle up at Hungary. So the consistency of seeing Lando being the best of the rest, we, we sort of miss because it was part of the big storyline of 2021. But uh, this was not a best effort for McLaren. And unfortunately, he got kind of tangled in that. So Lando Norris, who I had higher expectations for, are, is in my bottom five. 
George Russell is also there too. Now Russell retired the car and his day was done, but he didn't really show any promise in this race too. And remember I run at spa. He is, he was in the points in Hungary. He's been challenging for the points at various times this season. So look, we don't have a huge expectation that George Russell and the Williams is going to do great all the time or, or, or thrill us all the time with potential to get points. But this was a little disappointing and maybe he's in my bottom five because of the euphoria of being on the podium at spa and then not really being a factor at all or in part of any sort of conversation of this race. So maybe that's it, but nevertheless, retirement, that's it for him. He did make the big news by getting the Mercedes seat, but as far as we look at the Grand Prix, he's in the bottom five. Another one, Lance Stroll. Now he ran P12. I can't think of one thing Lance Stroll did in this race. I can't. I don't know what he did. I can't. I don't remember any overtakes, which are hard, which are hard to do at Zandvoort anyway. But I don't remember anything. And Aston Martin had a bad weekend anyway because they both drivers finished outside the points. Sebastian Vettel spun, almost tangled up with Valtteri Bottas, but they both finished two laps down. Most of the field finished at least one lap down. But Lance Stroll, I put him here because I don't remember anything. Now, Sebastian Vettel, I remember him spinning out and almost tangling Bottas, but I don't remember anything about Lance Stroll. And for that reason, he's in the bottom five. All right, Antonio Giovinazzi, I had to get to him. He made it to Q3 on Saturday, the Alfa Romeo driver earning a P7 to start the race, and then it was all downhill from there. He really didn't show up at all, and unfortunately, he couldn't make anything really work. The car just didn't work out for him. He finished P14. That's a huge drop, and I know there were some issues with the car, et cetera, but that's way too far down. It's really disappointing. I had high hopes for him at the start of the Grand Prix. He really needs a good showing. All these rumors are circulating as to who is going to be his, the teammate of Valtteri Bottas at Alfa Romeo. He's trying to keep his job. He started P7. He ends up P14. I like Antonio, but you're in my bottom five. And the last, and this is really frustrating, you feel bad for Gunther Steiner. I'm not putting Mick Schumacher in the bottom five. I'm not putting Nikita Mazepin in the bottom five. I'm putting both Haas drivers in the bottom five. It feels like both of these drivers need a timeout. They're squabbling over each other. Gunther Steiner is just trying to get through this season so the technical regulations can help the team in 2022. That's all he's looking for. Just get me the hell out of 2021. And these two drivers complaining about each other, bitching about each other. It's got to drive him nuts. Absolutely nuts. Both of these drivers need to chill. Look, when you hear Schumacher in the press conferences, and you, you know he's going to be a star, right? It's part of his heritage with his father and whatnot. You just get a feeling like eventually as he matures, as more experience, gets on a better team, that he's going to be a potential Formula One star. Nikita Mazepin, I don't think is ever going to be that. I think he's just going to be a rich kid in a Formula One seat with his father eventually owning a team, and that's it. Is that his fault? No. But these two... They need a timeout. There's no other way to put it. I don't want to say they're acting like children because we're talking about racing and the race drivers do this, but they're both driving me crazy. And they're both in my bottom five for that very, very reason. All right, top five. Some of this was easy. Some of this will just uh, go through it. Number one on my top five list, this was Sergio Perez. He started the race from the pit lane and overtaking is very hard at Zandvoort, but that didn't stop him from getting a P8. So Sergio Perez, who got driver of the day, by the way, uh, really showed that you can overtake at times at Zandvoort because he moved himself through the field. Obviously, he had the better car, et cetera, et cetera, but 
you know what? He got driver of the day for a reason because of the complications of that circuit to get back into a race. And he did so and got points for Red Bull on a day where it was all about Max Verstappen. Fernando Alonso did too. This is what he does. He gets, he gets grid positioning right off the bat. He did so. He also handled turn three, a very, very tricky turn at Zandvoort really well. And he's been running great lately. I mean, it's been great to have Fernando Alonso back in Formula One. I still, I'm just, I still get goosebumps when I think about him and Lewis Hamilton battling at Hungary so that Estepan Ocon could have the lead of that race, what he did in defending Hamilton for his teammate, how he reacted when Ocon won. Uh, Fernando Alonso back in this sport has been absolutely fantastic. Number three, top five, bottom five, Pierre Gasly. You're looking at the best of the rest, and that's where you'll find him. He started P4. He finished P4. It was a great day for Gasly and Alpha Tauri. You know, when you see a, a domination by Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton, and they're lapping the field, what you're trying to do is be the best of the rest, and he did beat out Charles Leclerc for that position. Alonso six, Carlos Sainz seventh, Gasly in that Alpha Tauri finishing fourth. And it's a fantastic finish for him because he's going to Monza as the defending race champion. Now we're not expecting him to, you know, repeat as the Italian Grand Prix winner. But when you couple that with the fact that he got a P4, best of the rest, and going to Monza and all those accolades that are going to come his way as we remember that Italian Grand Prix of 2020, it was a really, really good week for uh, Pierre Gasly. Number four, and it's Lewis Hamilton. I did not like Mercedes' strategy in this race. Uh, I thought they did pit Lewis Hamilton a little early on that second pit stop, but Hamilton did try to make a charge. He could not really get close to Max. They, when he did, Max either pulled away. You know, there was one point where they tried to get him to back off, and he said, man, I'm closing the gap. So there were some things about Hamilton's ride where he was, again, doing the tire thing, whatnot, but... But you know what? It was Max's day and he tried to spoil it like you would want, right? You want co your competition to try to spoil that for you. He did the best he could, but in the end, he could just gets a P2. But he minimizes the damage that Max Verstappen had by winning that race. He did get the fastest lap and it's a manageable three-point gap to Verstappen heading into Monza. He is my second one. And the first is obvious. It's Max Verstappen. Man, you couldn't ask for the kind of pressure on a driver to win on your home Grand Prix like that. He'd been looking forward to this race for a very long time. He flies the Dutch flag. Yes, Belgium is a home race for him too, but this one was 36 years in the making for the hometown hero to not only win, but show up and do well. He gave them a pole position. He gave them the lead of that race, did a fantastic job of blocking out Lewis Hamilton into Tarzan on that first turn, first lap. Verstappen with all of the pressure racing in front of royalty and the orange army that showed up and all of the expectations, right? The, I mean, it was a race that was on the 2020 calendar canceled because of COVID. So, you know, he had a long time to think about what it would be like to win the Dutch Grand Prix. And now he knows what it's like to win the Dutch Grand Prix because he did exactly that, fulfilling the promise to everybody in that grandstand. So that's our top five, bottom five. All right, we got to get to the big news in Formula One, and it was driver movement. I talked about this earlier. We did know Valtteri Bottas was moving to Alfa Romeo. We had that just before we launched the Dutch Grand Prix review. So we had a discussion about that. But in that discussion, we started wondering what the dominoes would then look like after that. So it was no surprise that if Alfa Romeo is going to bring in Valtteri Bottas, then George Russell was going to get the seat vacated by Bottas with the move. And that's exactly what happened. Russell has been in Williams for three years, three struggles 
struggling years. He has watched his peers in the sport get really good rides while he was in the backfield on that in that car. He's put up with it. He's absorbed it. And now he gets to race in a car that will deliver a championship. There's a lot of things at play here. How much of a teammate does he need to be for Hamilton? Will this be a legitimate battle for two guys with a championship? Will this be like Nico Rosberg in 2016? Those are questions that are still unanswered. But all this, all that aside, it shouldn't really matter. This is his car, his team now going forward. And unless there is some sort of breakup between him and Mercedes at some point in his career, he's going to be in a car that will compete for championships, even with the new technical regulations coming for years and years to come. He has finally earned that spot. So we can look at Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc and Max Verstappen and guys he raced against when he was younger in karting. He is now on the level in terms of machinery, even again, even with the regulations coming to sort of balance it out a little bit in 2022, Russell is now in a position to win a championship. So what about his seat at Williams? Now that that's open, well, that was filled this week with Alex Albon, another Red Bull driver that tried to be alongside Max Verstappen and got taken out. Pierre Gasly tried it, couldn't do it. Alex Albon did it, couldn't do it. Sergio Perez is in there now. They signed him to a one-year deal. Alex Albon back in Formula One. He will have that seat next to Nicholas Latifi as they race in Williams next season. I'm happy for Alex. I didn't know if it was the best choice, but I'm not nitpicking on this one. It's fine. Alex Albon back in Formula One is fantastic. You know, I'd like to see Nico Hulkenberg back in Formula One. Yeah, he was a reserve driver last year for Racing Point. He did really good in that race at uh, Nürburgring. I think he was good. So I, I don't know. I'd like to see him, but I'm not nit, nitpicking here. Alex Albon is a fantastic choice for Williams. Good young uh, upcoming driver and brings some sponsorship dollars to the, to the team. So that really works out well for both Williams and for Alex Albon because he's back in the sport. One of the things about Drive to Survive that I sort of don't like is they build this drama up because it's a reality show and you don't really know sort of more ins and outs of what, of, of some reasoning here. If you follow formula one for a long time, you know, driver seats are precarious. You, you lose them, you gain them and lose them all the time. They may change teams, be out of the sport for a bit, but the reality show sort of paints Gasly and Albon as these real sympathetic figures. It's a cutthroat business, no doubt. And there is some level of sympathy that we can give these guys when they lose that top ride at Red Bull. But it's nice to know that you can you stay the course, you hang around, you see what the future is like, and eventually you get back in. Or in Pierre Gasly's case, you go to AlphaTauri and you win at Monza. So fantastic. All right, that's going to do it for the Overtake F1 podcast. Really enjoyed this weekend. Sprint qualifying Saturday with the Grand Prix on Sunday. And we'll be back here Monday to have it all wrapped up for you in a nice little bow. Once again, subscribe to the podcast. Please leave us a review because we are growing all the time and we could really use your help. Share this podcast too if you know of other Formula One fans that may like it. This is a different style than other Formula One podcasts. I really hope you enjoy it. Like our Facebook page, the Overtake F1 podcast. You can participate in the discussions. I throw up some questions and think your thoughts on races and news of the day. So if you want to participate in that as well, love to connect with you. Those of you who are listeners to this podcast. All right. Again, we'll be back early next week for the review of the Italian Grand Prix. Until then, this is Tony Desiri, and this is the F1 Overtake podcast. Overtake.